A radio station during a graveyard shift is a completely surreal place to be. It's quiet, and as you're going, you're tracing the roads at a time when nearly no one else is out. Seeing another car on the roads after midnight on a weekday feels like you're both lost, both wondering how the other got out there, where you're going, and why. Even if the route is familiar, even if the streetlights illuminate every inch, you feel without realizing it that you have entered into an alien world, an alternate Earth to our own. The gray shadows in the empty parking lots warn you not to enter, and the last glowing windows from fellow night owls wink out like stars. As you're going to the radio station, it's midnight, still bustling, but going home. It's past 3 a.m. The sprinklers hiss from the grass, and the shops have all gone silent, and the roads are vacant. You're floating in the middle of the ocean. For a year and a half, my friend Nick and I hosted a show from 1 to 3 in the morning until life got busy and we had to go on hiatus. But in those months, we did dozens upon dozens of shows, put in countless hours, and sent our voices out into the night sky for those inside of our radius to hear what we had to say. The station is WPRK 91.5, the best in basement radio. It's a warm, homey station in the middle of the night, a place of comfort and camaraderie against the encroaching twilight hours. We talked, laughed, and even savored our solitude. Putting in hours at the station feels like a duty, like you're carrying a torch, holding up the world for the listeners out there. Like if you weren't there, some listener might forget, for just a moment, that there are other souls out there at this late hour, talking and living just as they are. But on some nights, when my exhaustion felt like an albatross on my neck, I would take a different route to the station and would swing by the 24-hour donut shop by my home. The employees there were kind, asking lots of questions when I told them where I was off to. I would grab some donuts for my co-host and myself, and a coffee to keep me sane. Then I would return to the solitude of my transit. But before I did, I would ponder at another visitor in the store. An older gentleman, with jet black dyed hair, sitting in a black suit on a high chair, facing away from the door. In front of him is a mug with a skull on it and sometimes he would have a cane leaning against the wall. I knew this man. I'd seen him before. He used to sit just inside the front doors of our local drugstore before it started closing at 10. Back when it was an all-night store, he spent his darkened hours there. Then he took up residence here and sat through the night as other late-night guests stepped out of the gloom. Most people call him the Altamont Vampire, most anyone that lives in Altamont Springs has seen him and would know exactly who you were talking about by just the name alone. It's certainly a brand he wouldn't deny. He stays up all night and he dresses in all black. He's veiled in mystery, but not so much that he feels threatening or unfamiliar. He is a person, relaxing in the shop just as I am, waiting for the sun to return. One cannot help but wonder about his story. Who is he? Why is he here? Why like this? I've always wanted to ask him and find out who he is and why he spends his time here or what it is that keeps him here all night. I've never wanted to be rude or to mock him. I don't want to belittle him in the slightest. I just want to know why. But he's been gone for the past few months. When I find my car passing the donut shop after dark, I slow and swing to the right lane and watch for a glimpse of the Altamont vampire, but the golden interior of the shop does not illuminate his form. He's gone. 
Maybe he'll return and then we can talk. Maybe share coffee and learn about each other. Until then, for now, he's just a story. A piece of a legend that other residents of Seminole County share with bemusement. Have you seen the Altamont vampire in his all-night perch on State Road 436? Every little community like mine has a story like this. Some inexplicable legend, some story that makes you stop and think. Is there an easy answer? In the case of the Altamont vampire, I'm sure there is. For others, the stories are older, wrapped in confusion and uncertainty, meant to be an ephemeral thing, never intending to be unfurled. No place encapsulates that sort of entanglement quite like a lone hill in the middle of an isolated town, known by all who pass under its arch as Spook Hill. I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This is episode 6 of our 12-episode second season. We are halfway through. It's the month of October, and I'm telling you some of my favorite spooky stories in the state. This week, I'd like to tell you some urban legends, ones that I've traced down and experienced firsthand, starting with Spook Hill. The sign at Spook Hill reads the following, quote, Ages ago, an Indian town on Lake Wales Lake was plagued with raids by a huge gator. The town's great warrior chief and the gator were killed in a final battle that created the huge swampy depression nearby. The chief was buried on its north side. Later, pioneer haulers coming from the old army trail atop the ridge above found their horses laboring here at the foot of the ridge and called it Spook Hill. Is it the gator seeking revenge or the chief protecting his land? End quote. Attached to the sign is a smiling cartoon of a ghost, similar to the ghost in the Ghostbusters logo, pointing gleefully at the paragraph. Beneath the sign is a sentence of instruction, extremely straightforward. Stop car on white line, place in neutral, and let it roll back. It's a Saturday afternoon, and the rainstorm has just passed. I had come to Lake Wales in search of Bach Tower Gardens, but I couldn't leave the city without visiting Spook Hill. I'd heard so much about it for the past few years, and now was finally my chance. You have to pull off the main road and go around a little residential block to get here. Right next to Spook Hill itself is Spook Hill Elementary School, a school opened next to and named for the historic attraction. It is probably the first school named for a roadside attraction that I've heard of. To top it all off, their school mascot is Casper the Friendly Ghost, who grinned from their announcement sign out front. When I pulled onto the road leading to Spook Hill, there was another car at the intersection headed into the residential streets. I had to suppress the anxiety of feeling like a dumb tourist and turn toward the line of other cars at Spook Hill. The cars in front of me really took their time. I watched them follow the instructions. They slid up to the white line slowly, and then moved backwards down the hill. From my perspective, at the back of the line, I honestly couldn't tell what was happening. One woman was out of her car filming and clearly was delighted by the event. Once it was my turn, I paused and followed the instructions carefully. I slid my car to the line, slowly clicked into neutral, and held my breath. It's difficult to describe the sensation of what happened next. It was a rare experience, one I had never felt before. 
It wasn't supernatural or otherworldly or terrifying. Rather, it was the bizarre feeling of expecting to be amazed and being left instead utterly confused. Here is what I expected to happen. I thought that I would pull up to the white line and then mysteriously roll upwards. Or possibly I would arrive at the white line and then my car would roll backwards with such force that it felt supernatural. The sign said let it roll back, so I expected the latter. Here's what happened instead. The line was clearly on a hill, like a big steep hill. I rolled up to it and then gravity took me backwards, taking me back to the sign at about 10 miles an hour. I started laughing. A lot. What was supposed to happen? Did I do something wrong? I repeated the process to the same effect. I rolled backwards down a hill. What, what was the big deal? What was spooky about this at all? I was overwhelmed. I wanted to do it again, but another car had arrived. I decided to loop around and try again. When I arrived at the hill for my second attempt, I realized that the cars that had pulled up were the exact same cars that were in front of me before. They too were attempting to figure out what was happening. This time I paid careful attention and I realized from where the sign is, the road dips downward, maybe a foot or two at a slight gradient for maybe 20 feet or so. Then you pull up to the white line. The spooky element was that you rolled backwards up that 20 foot gradient something that a car should not be able to do. However, if you pull up to the white line as instructed, you're literally just rolling backwards because gravity carries you backwards. Momentum is pushing you up the hill. I was stunned. I had heard this story so many times. I had heard that it was mysterious, an optical illusion at the very least. It was fun, and the legend is bizarre, and the hill was a fun trip. All of these things are true, but I have to tell you this now. There is no magic here, not even optical illusions. And what about that story? It's so unusual. Some sort of settlement with a warrior chief fighting a giant gator? Well, this is partially true. Archaeologists have done significant work in the area, and at one site called the Blueberry Site, a group of researchers have in fact discovered what's called a midden. A midden is basically an archaic landfill, the dump where residents of an old town have laid their food waste, animal bones, and general domestic garbage. It's buried over time and exists today as a pit full of all the things our ancestors threw away. Middens have been extremely useful tools for scientists over the years, forming pictures of the lives we used to live. As for the huge gator? Who's to say? The idea presented on the sign is that the magic of Spook Hill possibly lies in a ghost alligator pushing your car. Whatever you want to believe, that's the best story I've ever heard. But the warrior and the gator are just part of the Spook Hill legend. The locals have several other variations on why Spook Hill is what it is. One story from the 50s relates the tale of, brace yourself, Captain Gimme Sarsaparilla, who retired in Lake Wales with his friend Teniente Vanilla. The story goes that they were buried in town with Captain Sarsaparilla at the bottom of the lake and Vanilla buried at the bottom of the hill. If you park your car there, Vanilla calls over old Sarsaparilla and they push your car away. When this happened to an old fisherman in the 1930s, the story goes that he shouted, quote, them spooks, and fell unconscious.
The story of Captain Sarsaparilla originated at a restaurant nearby called Barney's Tavern, an attempt to spread the legend of Spook Hill. From there, the story spread the way that most urban legends do. The city put up that sign and even were considering making it more of a tourist attraction and opening a restaurant there, but it was eventually decided that Spook Hill was for everyone and the requirement of money was not something that should be on the table. The location is what's called a gravity hill. Gravity hills can be seen literally all over the world on nearly every continent. Wherever human beings have paved roads, someone has stared for too long and thought that gravity had gone all topsy-turvy. It's an optical illusion, some more convincing than others. One outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is particularly famous because the road, at a downhill elevation, sits on a hill where, coming toward it, it appears to be going upwards. But what sets Spook Hill apart is not just its name, it's the sign. It's the sheer performance of it all. And it's not the only urban legend like this in Florida. Everywhere in the world, notably in America, there are certain types of tropes in urban legends. There's the woman in white on the side of the road calling out to passengers. There's the monster under the bridge that waits for you to pass and then appears at your window. There's the haunted old jailhouse or the hospital or the orphanage. We in Florida have all of those. We've got a witch who haunts a graveyard in Tallahassee. We've got spectral hitchhikers on the Sunshine Skyway Bridge. We've got Bigfoot in the Everglades and zombies on the interstates. And in one of my favorite stories, we've got the Devil's Chair. Devil chairs are common in international folklore. The true story is that in the 1800s, it was common practice for graveyards to include stone chairs for guests to sit and spend time in the cemetery in comfort. They were often stable and carved so no one could take them. The history, however, really doesn't matter when you're a drunk teenager in a graveyard on Halloween. Then, it's a haunted chair, one that can cast a curse on you or sweep you away if it deems your soul impure. But if you simply do a search for the Devil's Chair, the first thing that pops up is our Devil's Chair, nestled in the amazing city of Casadega. Casadega is a spiritualist camp, a town set off from the main road filled with mediums and spiritualists. I will dive one day into the amazing story of Casadega, but that is for a different episode. This spot is really amazing if you're looking for a spook. Even the most skeptical visitor feels a slight energy shift when you cross the bridge into Casadega. I've felt it myself. It is inexplicable. Once there, you could get a reading from any one of the mystics there. But in their graveyard, in an enclosed little space, feet from where long past psychics are buried, is a low red brick chair. The seat is maybe a foot or so off the ground, very low. The arms are high and long, and the back is tall and straight. It is not an extremely comfortable looking chair. That has not stopped people from sitting, however, and stories developed. One legend is that if you sit in the chair at midnight, the devil himself will appear and begin to commune with you. Another shares that the chair is a channel, and as you sit, you can enter communication with any number of deceased individuals. Possibly the most famous stories of a beer can. It is said that if one leaves a beer can on the chair overnight, you will find all the liquid removed, but the can has not been opened. Historians know the chair to be a resting place for the living, notably the husband of the woman buried on the plot who would sit and visit her every day. But for the past century, legends sprouted around the tall brick chair in the graveyard of the camp. 
As you can tell, Florida is as familiar with urban legends as it is with sunshine. Wherever humanity has landed, there has been folklore and half-truths to explain undescribable circumstances. But in the case of Florida, a foundational element of who we are, our history, is an urban legend, though not exactly a spooky one. It all goes back to Ponce. Juan Ponce de Leon was an alien on the sand he just stepped on. His leather boots sunk into the wet ground, and the salty Atlantic water flowed over his feet, soaking into the very bottom of his long pants. He had brought with him three ships, the Santiago, the San Cristobal, and the Santa Maria de la Consolación. He had already made his way to Hispaniola in Puerto Rico, where he had briefly been a governor, and now he had reached the destination that would be tied to his history. It was 1513, and Ponce de Leon had finally accomplished what he had spent his whole life seeking out. The sailor was a powerful example of a Spanish leader, but he had goals beyond just setting foot in the New World. Rather, he had set his sights on the fabled land where, deep in the woods, beyond the waters of the ocean, lay the key to everlasting life. A trickle of water, so mystical that its origins stretch back thousands of years. The Fountain of Youth. Except, as far as historians can tell, the idea of the Fountain of Youth likely never even crossed Ponce de Leon's mind. He maybe never even heard of such a concept, let alone sought out its mythical location on the east coast of Florida. The story originated as a parody of Ponce de Leon, written by a man named Gonzalo Fernandez de Ovido y Valdez. Gonzalo was a friend of a political rival of Ponce's who took the Puerto Rican governorship from Ponce by force. To make Ponce de Leon look like a blithering idiot, he wrote a story about him bouncing around in the Florida wilderness searching for a completely absurd and certainly non-existent river of holy, life-giving water. For whatever reason, perhaps the magic, perhaps the humor, perhaps the tourism, the myth of a myth stuck. Today, the home of the legend is an archaeological park tucked off the main section of historic St. Augustine. So much of this city is shrouded in my own adolescent fears. When I was in elementary school on the St. Augustine trip that every Florida student had to take, we visited the old jail and the Castillo and the Fountain of Youth. As a kid, afraid of all things ghosts, anything remotely supernatural, Florida's first city was a breeding ground for my greatest fears. There was a statue of the old warden in the old jail, and I clicked my disposable camera at him. The tour guide told me that the statue wouldn't like that. I was horrified. It only got worse when we saw the old gallows, heard terrifying stories of hanged men, and snapped as many pictures as my little camera could hold. The Castillo did little to lessen my fears, filled with dark corners and passageways that my brain could only imagine getting locked in and sealed away forever. To this day, returning to these spaces triggers the same types of primal fears of shadowed hallways and lost souls. The Fountain of Youth Archaeological Park did not entice such anxieties. It was and is a sunny, open park filled with historical recreations and unique exhibits. Along the path, you can see recreations of cannon fire and pistol ranges. There is an entire area dedicated to a former dig, where archaeologists discovered the ruins and foundation of a former Timucua village, as well as artifacts from Spanish travelers that came with Pedro Menendez years after Paul de Leon. 
There are peacocks strutting around all over the exhibits, remnants of a previous owner who had brought them years ago. The main exhibit is obviously the spring house right beyond the front gates. Inside is a guest book with signatures dating back to 1868, an official record of all the visitors who have passed through this land. They call themselves the oldest tourist attraction in Florida, and there's no wonder why. The legend is old, built into who we are, and fascinating, and it comes alive within these walls. Around the corner is a stone outcropping with three faucets dribbling water into a grate below. The water is tapped directly from the aquifer, below the ground, bringing up natural, clear water. Wax statues overlook the spot of Spanish explorers and Timucua residents who all survived on the nourishing water. For visitors, there are stacks of cups, and you can grab one and dip it beneath the font and take a sip yourself. When last I visited, my former roommates at my side, we took a sip together, then another. Then a dozen or so more. The woman inside had warned us that maybe we would not enjoy the taste of the water because it had a lot of dissolved minerals inside, but she did not anticipate how much we would enjoy that water. Mystical or not, it was delicious, and we left extremely pleased with our trip. So, why does all of this work? What itch do these stories scratch? Ponce de Leon, The Devil's Chair, Spook Hill, The Altamont Vampire. Because we can't resist them, can we? I've puzzled on this for the last few weeks, churning it over. Why do we love to not only share these stories, but to seek out their physical place in the world and spot them for ourselves? Why do I always peer through the window for The Altamont Vampire? Why were there cars running through Spook Hill over and over again? Why have kids been sneaking out to the devil's chair for a hundred years? Many want to be scared, absolutely. Some certainly want to disprove the legend or debunk the paranormal, but I think it's bigger than that. I think that we drink from the fountain and drive up the hill and sit in the chair because we want to leave our page in the grand story of that legend. We want to have our own chapter our own perspective, our own version. Maybe that's selfish, but we do. I have shared with you mine, my late night visits and amusing encounters. These are my chapters, my accounts in the thousand year legacy of human fascinations. It's one of the great gifts of being humans. We tell stories. Florida has ample opportunity. Maybe the fountain will restore your health, and maybe you will hear the voices in the chair, or maybe a spectral gator will push your car up a slight hill. I don't know. It's not my place to know. It's up to you to write your chapter of that legend. Go. Seek him out. And most importantly, tell others. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. This is episode 6 of our 12-episode season. Next week, I'm going to tell you about Florida's bats and wolves, our spookiest creatures, and the mysterious force that threatens their survival. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review in the description below. I read every single one and I'm always looking to hear what you have to say about this show. Your reviews help the show grow and help it improve every single day. You can also reach me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WFMPod. While you're there, why not share the episode with your friends? I'm sure that you know someone who would love some spooky stories like the ones I've provided today, so why not send it their way? You can also send me an email at WFMPod at gmail.com, especially if you have an idea for a future episode. I'm working on season three right now, and I would love to know what you would love to hear. All of the music used in this episode is from Lobo Loco. You can find the titles in the description below, along with a link to more of their fantastic music. I'll be back next Monday with another spooky story. Until then, I'm Nick D'Alessandro. Be good to yourself, be good to others, drink more water, and have a happy Halloween.